seated. Our scripture this morning will be read by Dave Hamsky, who is the senior patrol leader from Troop 175. A reading from the first letter of Peter. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that though they might malign you as evildoers, and may you see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people, yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. If you were to put a, a group of people into a room with an unfamiliar TV set and an unfamiliar DVD player and tell them, okay, they had to figure out how to play that DVD, you know that there would be a variety of approaches to that little problem, wouldn't there? There would first of all be the button pusher. I'm just going to push buttons until it works <laughs> and hope that it works. And I have to tell you, Cliff Thielman inspired this uh, sermon opening today. <laughs> Then there would be the person who says, no, I'm going to read the manual carefully and follow the instructions step by step. There would be the person who says, oh, I think I saw a TV and a DVD player just like this one time. And they would deduce from that how this one worked. And then there would be the person, this is more like me, who might try a couple things and then when it didn't work, turn it off and turn it back on and hope it worked the second time around. And there would also, of course, be the, the person who was smart enough to call for somebody else who knew what they were doing to do it. We also have a variety of approaches to religion, and some of these, you know, kind of correspond to these other styles. There are those who just want to wing it in their faith, believing whatever is convenient at the time. There are those who want a careful set of rules to follow in their faith. There are those who will stick with a known model, what they grew up with, and, and, and what has already worked for them in their lives. Some will come and go, you know, going from one church to another, hoping the next one will be better and fix everything for them. Some will look for direction and teaching and ask somebody to teach them and, and help them and guide them. You know that part of, of Wesley's genius, John Wesley's genius, was not just theology, but the application of theology to life. The application of theology to life. He is known for his practical divinity. The practical divinity. So that all these different people coming from different directions. He knew that, he knew that there were people were many different kinds of people with lots of different approaches. He knew that 
You had to be practical about this. You had to see where people were and how they grew in their faith and then go from there. And he was a genius about this. He was not only a man of ideas, but this person who applied the ideas and said, faith is meant to be lived. It's not just meant to be something up here in your head. So what he did was he applied uh, his organizational skills to early Methodism. It was divided up into groups. It, now, it didn't begin as a church. Wesley, remember, did not mean to start the Methodist church. What he meant to do, what he and his brother meant to do, was do a, create a renewal movement within the Church of England. But what happened eventually was a church. But what the way they started was they just said, well, we need to organize all these people who are listening to John Wesley's teaching. So they first divided up into societies, which were like churches. They were a large group of people who met. To, I mean, it really sounds like a church. <laughs> they met together regularly. They often had a building that they would meet in, uh, a room or a building or facility somewhere that they would meet in. They even started building their own buildings, these societies. And they would meet regularly to sing, to, uh, to be taught, to take up collections for service work. Sounds kind of like a church, doesn't it? But they were just societies. And they were also encouraged to go to church as well. And then they divided it even into smaller groups called classes. And the classes were accountability groups. You would meet together once a week, and you would share with each other how your spiritual walk was going. You know, where you had fallen down, where you had a, a, a triumph that week. And they would kind of take care of each other in these classes. And those, are, those have been maintained through Methodism. And there's churches that still have classes in that style today. And there might even be smaller groups called bands. That would be like four or five people for really intensive spiritual instruction. That was more often that people would become the leaders of the classes and the societies. So there's Wesley applying. He said, well, people need some kind of structure, you know, because they're going to go off in all directions otherwise. So he did this organization. He was a powerful preacher, but he was also a gifted administrator. And so he had all this organization, and pretty soon, you know, then it, it had a life of its own there in England. And what Wesley discovered early on was that the societies needed guidance and structure. He couldn't just kind of say, okay, poof, you're a society, go off there and do whatever you want. No, they needed, they needed some guidelines to what they were doing. And they needed and asked for, this is what's interesting, they asked for some rules. They said, give us some rules. Now, our people are funny about rules. You know, if you're to say to a person, here's a bunch of rules that you have to follow, what is usually our instinctive reaction? <laughs> our instinctive reaction is, fine, I'm not going to follow all those rules just because you told me to. You know, we don't like that idea of being hemmed in by a bunch of rules. And we often will rebel against them initially. But on the other hand, we as human beings like rules. And if there aren't rules, we get a little uncomfortable with things just going any direction. And as the children even pointed out, they're smart enough to know you have rules because, you know, it helps organize life. It keeps you protected and safe and so on. So we, we, I think we have, human beings, we're very split about how we feel about rules. And we have the same problem in faith. Wesleyan theology begins with you are saved by grace through faith. That's the core. You are saved by grace through faith. It's, it has nothing, nothing to do with things you have done. You cannot earn it. You cannot fulfill a set of actions and earn and, and be rewarded with salvation. You are saved by grace through faith. 
And you'll notice that in the Methodist Church, we do not have a creed. I mean, we have creeds that we read, that are, but we don't have a creed that is the Methodist creed. We don't have a catechism of any sort. We do not have a system of, of penance for handling you know, wrongdoing. We are not a church that is about, you must have behave in this way or follow this set of rules of action. That is not what Methodism is. Interestingly enough, considering we're called Methodists, but that is not the way our faith works. We are saved solely by grace. But you can see that if that is the only principle of a religion, you can see the problem, can't you? That if that, if, if that is the, the case and people say, well, all I need to do is say, I believe, and everything will be okay, then we slide down a slippery slope into what they call antinomianism. That is, no laws whatsoever. No rules, no laws. I don't have to follow anything. They had trouble with this in early Christianity. You can tell from Paul's letters. Paul was preaching, you are free because you're saved by grace. And so people were going a little wild and crazy because they thought they had no rules anymore to follow. So you can see that it's a problem if you go too much in this direction. And Wesley recognized that as well, that as human beings, we also need some structure. But what the difference is the reason for that structure. It's not because we believe that by doing these things, we can be saved. The reason is because God has done so much for us. Our response is we want to do loving things. We want to continue to grow in the faith. We want to serve others. We don't want to fall away from faith. Wesley's, Wesley said, you know, you can be saved and then lose it again by, by things that you do. You can wander away from God again. It, it isn't, as I mentioned before, a once and done. You, are, you can be in danger of, of losing your salvation. So the rules and, guide and guidelines keep us kind of going growing in love, keeping from wandering away too far. It's like, why would you build a fence in your backyard? Around here, you build a fence to keep the deer out, for one. <laughs> you know, but think of that as your faith life. You build fences to keep out destructive influences. You build a fence to give you a guideline of where to grow or where things can grow. Some things grow nicely against fences. That can be a support for them. So think of rules that way, too. They're there to protect us, to give us some guidelines, to help us to grow. So you need both those things. You need the belief that we are saved only by grace, but you also need some structure and guidelines because we have a sinful nature. We're saved by grace, but we want to continue in the faith, and God loves us and will help us to do that. So this brings me to the rules that Wesley wrote. You have these as an insert today in your bulletin. Upon request, Wesley did draw up this set of rules for the societies. The only condition, as he mentions in this introduction, the only condition to join a Methodist society was a desire to flee from the wrath to come and to be saved from their sins. And, but they did say that if this is truly your desire, we'll be able to tell by the way you behave. See, it keeps going back and forth and back and forth. And the rules are basically divided into three main areas. Doing no harm, doing good, and attending on the ordinances of God. I'm just going to read through these. We were um, having a lot of fun as we copied these in the office this week, reading them and, and just seeing how we measured up. So just you, can, you don't have to share that today, but as we go through these things, you can see, well, do, how, how am I doing on some of these rules? Okay. 
here are the rules. First, by doing no harm, by avoiding evil of every kind, especially that which is most generally practiced, such as the taking of the name of God in vain, profaning of the day of the Lord, either by doing ordinary work therein or by buying or selling. That's a toughie. Drunkenness, buying or selling spiritist liquors or drinking them, unless in case, cases of extreme necessity. <laughs> yeah, I know, that loophole is a problem, isn't it? <laughs> Slaveholding, buying and, or selling slaves, fighting, quarreling, brawling, Brother going to law with brother, returning evil for evil, or railing for railing. The using many words, <laughs> the using many words in buying or selling. I like that one too. And that's in there with the fighting and quarreling. The buying or selling goods that have not paid the duty. The giving or taking things on usury, that is unlawful interest. Uncharitable or unprofitable conversation. Hmm. I would say we most of us fall down there, particularly speaking evil of magistrates or of ministers. My husband and I love this one because he serves as a magistrate also. Ha <laughs> ha. So say nice things about the olds. Okay, doing to others as we would not, they should do unto us. Doing what we know is not for the glory of God as the putting on of gold and costly apparel, the taking such diversions as cannot be used in the name of the Lord Jesus, the singing those songs or reading those books, this is where we were having a little struggle this week in the office, which do not tend to the knowledge or love of God, softness, softness and needless self-indulgence, laying up treasure on earth, borrowing without a probability of paying, or taking up goods without a probability of paying for them, it is expected of all who continue in these societies that they should continue to evidence their desire of salvation by... Okay, that's always the, pre the preface. Okay, here's the second. By doing good. By being in every kind merciful after their power as they have opportunity. Doing good of every possible sort and as far as possible to all men. See, there's the doing good. That's the same as what you read as the call to worship today. All the good you can and every way you can to all the people you can and so on. Doing good to their bodies. Wesley was very interested in health and well-being of your body, of the ability which God giveth by giving food to the hungry and by clothing the naked, by visiting or helping them that are sick or in prison, to their souls, by instructing, reproving, and exhorting, and so on, by doing good, especially to them that are the household of faith or groaning so to be. Um, you know, Wesley recommended using you know, your brothers and sisters in your church or your faith um, and you know, going to their businesses and so on. Be, be diligent and frugal, run with patience the race, and so on. And then finally, the third section of rules, by attending upon all the ordinance of God, such are the public worship of God, the ministry of the word, the supper of the Lord, family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, fasting or abstinence. And it's this last section I just want to touch on, kind of in, in, in summary here. All of the, this is not an easy list. It, it's simple and straightforward, but it's not easy, right? These are not easy things to do, which is why we all kind of chuckle and cringe a little bit when we're reading this list. But Wesley, there is help available. And one of the, that whole third section basically is one of the ways that you can be helped in these things. Wesley described these types of things that are listed here as means of grace. Remember, God keeps working in our lives to help us, to perfect us, to help us grow in holiness. To do that, God needs to have an opportunity to touch Holy Spirit with our spirit. So there are certain occasions when spirit and spirit can really touch. This is like opening the door to God's spirit. And these are some of the things that he listed there. Some of the things that help us to grow and our means of grace are things like worship. Here you are. 
the ministry of the word, that is, reading the Bible, listening to the Bible reading, you know, going to classes about the Bible. The Supper of the Lord, this was extremely important. From the days of the Holy Club, the Wesleys said, you know, try to take the sacrament of communion as often as you can. And it's a means of grace. Prayer, both in a group and by yourself. Searching the scriptures. Fasting or abstinence. Um, this is one that Wesley himself, he fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. He thought this was, a, this was something established in the early church, and we should do it as well. Fasting as in um, from dinner time to dinner time. Like you eat dinner on Tuesday night, don't eat again until Wednesday dinner. And he did that twice a week. And there's lots of different ways of fasting. Some other things that Wesley suggested that are means of grace are just are, thing, are what he called Christian conferencing. Get together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and spend time with them in small groups, in fellowship times, in times of study. And you're going to hear a little more about how you might do that. These are all ways that we can experience God's grace and that can help us follow the rules. At the beginning of the sermon, I gave you a situation in which people might want to make a TV or DVD player work. Here in the church, we begin with a situation that we all want to live and grow closer to God. And so what I've given you today, through John Wesley, are ways and means for us to do that. And perhaps in this particular situation, we should take time to read and to follow the rules.